Welcome to the Bilge Pumps, where a bunch of naval geeks spout off. Hang on, before we go any further, you're the only one who hasn't got one of these shirts. We better do, do something about that. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll look into it. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> okay. Hello, everybody. I can leave that in. Yeah. <laughs> no one knows what talking about. Hello, everybody. It is uh, time for Bilge Pumps episode 37. Uh, we're rapidly approaching the point where we are theoretically should have a midlife crisis, but. Pending that, you are left with your the three regular hosts. So there's obviously me of uh, Drakinafel of Drakinafel the Everything, because unified branding is a thing. Um, Jamie Seidel of Armored Carriers and Doctor Alexander Clark of AC Naval History. Doctor Alexander Clark and many other things of different titles that are all variations on his name. Yes. <laughs> so, subject of discussion today, we appear to have possibly kicked over a little bit of a hornet's nest with our comments <laughs> last week about uh, rating of ships by cells and equating this to the uh, previous ratings of ships of the line back in uh, the age of sail so as with uh, as is the way with the uh, bilge pumps once we've kicked over a hornet's nest rather than run away screaming or whatever we're going to come back with a flamethrower and start kicking it down the road and see what happens it's more fun this way, and judging by the number of prods, well, I've certainly received, I'm not sure about my colleagues, from various people in various um, <clears throat> officialdom capacities going, we do not build, we're not building fourth-rate ships, you can't tell us that we're not, we're, we're building first-rate ships, you can't be rude about, um, and various things of me going, well, your number of VLS cells don't lie, baby. <laughs> uh, well, this I, think is... I think the problem here is uh, that the, the usage of the, of the language has changed over time, and uh, first-rate doesn't quite mean what it used to. Mm. No, first yes. rate means it's, it's everything is gold plated, but it's there's not much of it. Yeah, the, yeah. Em emphasis to those of the listeners who had those kinds of objections. We're talking about the rating system of ships of the line. There's nothing wrong with being a fourth rate ship of the line, um, no. or fourth rate heavy frigate, depending on how you want to define it. You like the old HMS Invincible, incredibly successful frigate, but fourth rate HMS yeah. Agamemnon. One of the most famous ships in the Royal Navy, fourth rate. Victory, of course, is a first rate, but USS Constitution would have been rated a fourth rate had it been in the Royal Navy. And let's be honest, as I said the last time, most of the Napoleonic Wars were not fought by first and second rates. They were fought by third rates. Yeah. And uh, was, it was the 74s, which were the big things. And actually, the largest class of those was built by the French, although a lot of them were used by the Royal Navy. I have yeah. to admit, a lot of them were used by the Royal Navy. I mean, you've got some of the other, you've got some of the other ships as well, like say H. Miss Speedy, which technically, technically, at some one point, wasn't even a rated vessel. But hmm. you stick Admiral, uh, uh, well, at the time, Captain Sir Thomas Cochrane on board, and it accomplishes great things. Even if the more and more I read about him, the more and more I think Cochrane is the equivalent of uh, what you get if you get a particularly argumentative terrier and then hotbox it with. PCP and LSD and then set it set it loose. Well, it works. <laughs> yes. 
Cochrane has Besides, one training. you've met the, you've met the um, trainee assistant, fluffy research assistant, haven't you? <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, Nelson, Nelson, they sometimes say, Nelson has one a setting, get close to the enemy and fight. It's like, Nelson doesn't have anything on Cochrane when it has a comes to one-track mind. No. Cochrane doesn't get next to the enemy and fight. It's get into the co- enemy's bed and start fighting in his dreams. <laughs> oh. okay, but again, you know, the, the fundamental point here is that they were all commanding ships that had a purpose, had a job to do, and were built to meet that task. Mm. Yes. Yeah. And and, and they were used for that purpose. Yeah. Yes. And and we're we're using we're using the sort of the general guidelines of the various naval establishments of the 1700s. So. 100 plus guns or in this case cells equates to first rate and so on and so forth down the line um although having said that i would also note that exactly how ships were rated did begin to change as you got into the 19th century so you have things like hms asia in uh, sort of the 1820s it's an 84 gun ship which means technically it's at the upper end of third rate by the old establishments but by the time it's in service with the uh, early victorian navy it's actually rated as a second rate ship but then the gulf between despite the fact the gun rating has apparently come down for a second rate the the term of first rate has actually gone stratospherically high because whilst a first rate in the latter part of the 18th century was sort of apart from santissima trinidad was generally ships of somewhere between 100 to 112 guns by the time you get to the last the last gasps of the age of sail capital ship you're talking ships regularly being launched with 130 140 or more guns so there's actually a huge gulf emerging and they they haven't invented like the super heavy first rate or anything ridiculous like that so no. system systems can change and be modified but i think um, the yeah, general it's, it's, it's trying to box anything Trying to box anything that's a evolving um, beast is, is is next to impossible. I mean, let's, let's face it. You know, it's the same old argument. What's a heavy cruiser? What's a battle cruiser? What's a battleship? What's a you know? What's a fast battleship? <laughs> yeah. Um, what's an, what's a pocket battleship? Um, it is what Not it is. Not a pocket battleship. It was a heavy cruiser <laughs> with some exactly. big guns. And then, in, and then in terms of uh, in terms of also the cells. I mean, it's easy to go use VLS cells because they're a fixed, easy to count thing. But you also then have to start, if you want to get into the, into detail, you have to start thinking about other things like, do you count a, a CIWS system as a single quote-unquote gun or an item for rating? So do, does the amount of phalanxes you have aboard or cash stands if you're the Russians make a difference? Um, if you're carrying box launchers for harpoons or LRASM or whatever else, do they count? Does that Does that work into your total? um and and then you and then i suppose the other two things you can look at as things like cram that's its own little launcher do you count a cram launcher as a single item or do you count it by all of its individual tubes and i guess once again the point is the point is is that we're trying to get across a comparative a point of comparison Hmm. Yeah. It's 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 at which is by necessity going to have to be a process a process of scaffolding as opposed mm. to uh, minute detail. Yeah. So I, I think for that purpose, you can 
do away with you know uh, point defense weapons. Yeah. 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 I think I would say you can get away with take out the point defense weapons. You can. I, I, the interesting question comes between torpedoes and missiles. I think well, do you can include the torpedo again, launchers. In again, it? I think basically, I think modern torpedoes on a on a warship are point defense weapons. Yeah. If you if you're close enough to use a torpedo against a modern submarine, you're dead. Mm. That's the way I see it. Yeah, I, I you're either it, dead or that submarine's going to have a big shock because it reckons it's in mm. stealth mode and you can't see it. There's and the, there is a there is again a precedent in the age of sail in that most ships they were rated by the number of guns they were pierced for as opposed to the number of guns they technically might have been carrying. A lot of the time, the captains would stick loads of short-range carronades all over the top deck, mm. which is fine and great. And yes, it, it, when you get into the detail of it, every, you realise that yeah, Constitution, for example, might be a mid-40s gunship by rating, but it's probably carrying close to almost 60 when it goes into battle. But it's not rated as a 60-gun ship because carronades, as Essex proved... Um, are not the best of things when you're engaged in a long-range firefight. So, yeah, similarly, similar to you, I think we can eliminate the point defense stuff. But the other aspect I was going to raise was when it comes to the VLS tubes themselves, because not all VLS tubes are created equal. No. There, there are some like Mark 41 or Silver A70 or various other ones where you have the option of putting in a big missile uh, strike length missile, cruise, cruise missile, or a long-range surface-to-air missile, or you can quad pack with smaller um, surface-to-air missiles. But other VLS tubes, you can't. If you want a small missile, you take a small missile. If you want a big missile, maybe it can fit a big one, but it doesn't have the space to double, quad, or triple. I pack think you have to ones. count. You have to count the tubes, the, the, the yeah. actual physical tubes. But I think you can say, sort of put an asterisk, say this is a fourth rate asterisk because this one, it can quad pack. So it can go up. But you also have to expect that the quad pack missiles are actually tend to be short range point defense missiles. Let's be mm. honest, when it's quad packing missiles, we're not putting in our long range air defense or long range strike missile. We are quad packing in. Enhance ESSM, Sea Sparrow, mm. or CAM. You know, so, we are not. So, from my from my point of view, once again, to provide a scaffolding point of comparison, mm. why bother to include quad packing at all? Because it's because no difference to having a separate launch Sea Sparrow launch system. It's or a grape, you've, you've, a grape shot. You're just taking up your, um, you, you know, you're taking up your primary weapon slot. Yeah, in fact, yeah, no, it's, yeah. it's, it's just a thing. These things are, I'm sure, if we don't mention them, someone will. Oh, of course, but, <laughs> yeah. but there's always there's always going to be that. As I said, what, you know, the difference between a heavy cruiser and a pocket battleship, right? You're never going to have a perfect system because everyone does things differently and things are evolving constantly over time. But if you can provide a a, a ballparks um, uh, offered, you know, a ballpark measure, something that is a loose framework, which means that these ships are in the same league. So, in my mind, you know, obviously, it doesn't matter how many VLS cells you've got, you've got different loads that you can put into those cells. And I think that's what makes those VLS cells valuable. That's what makes them the equivalent to the cannon and its port mm. cutting to the side. Although of the I, I would, I would, I would include the um, the 
sort of the box launchers etc for the like the dedicated anti-shipping missiles because they are an offensive weapon system so like yeah. your harpoon launchers and such you have to include those those are in uh, those are sort of part of it honestly but, the the fact that but, we but, still but, have but them rather harpoon... than having I guess, again, you know, I suppose I'll be um, guilty of my own um, crime here, but say, is splitting hairs, is Harpoon a point defence weapon? Uh, it's got a few miles range. I'd say, I wouldn't call it quite point defence just yet. Because it's, it's, it's sort of, you know, the shortest range to all of them at the moment, isn't it? It's still got a fair bit of a range on it. Um, I mean, to be honest, the, the, issue, the issue I'd have more with Harpoon these days is the the fact that it's still a subsonic weapon um and it's not stealth so it's originally either one or the other yeah i mean as as we've discussed in previous episodes m my general opinion on anti-shipping missiles as a whole are that if you're good these days if you're going to be do going up against a first or second tier navy and you're going to be firing anti-shipping missiles if they're going to be subsonic and non-stealthy you need an awful lot of them and so that's these... where harpoon falls down because most of the time you have like your eight box launch uh systems so these so these harpoon fixed mounts are fairly low value it as a, it depends who you're fighting. I I I'd, I'd say like in in terms of if you're looking at the anti-shipping missile launchers, the harpoons are basically the equivalent of the twelve or the eighteen pounder on a first-rate ship of the line. They're there, they're useful, they can hurt things, but they're not going to be quite as useful against a peer opponent as some of the heavier weapons that you could be carrying, like some like L Rasm or something, which you might be carrying in your VLS tubes. So do those the, twelve pounders count towards them being a first or second rate or not? Yeah, yeah. The, I mean, Victory's upper gun deck has all eighteen pounders, okay. and they they count towards her overall guns for weight of fire. Purposes, yeah. yeah, purpose mm. of weight of fire. But I mean, it's it 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 means. I think although you can you can play around slightly with the with the numbers as per the rating systems um there's there's not an awful lot of movement i think because the the top end combatants if you like the they still have a the number of offensive missile systems whether that be vls or box launch that put them quite firmly into what you'd categorize as a first rate by the traditional rating system so looking at the Sejong the Greats, for example. Yeah, basically, you've got Russia, China, America, and South Korea in the first-rate mm. category, haven't yeah. you? You've got, well, you've got the Sejong the Greats, they've got 128 VLS, and then they've also got 16 um, dedicated anti-ship missile launchers. So it's 146. 146 yes 144 no, 144 missile tubes offensive missile tubes mm. not including things like the sea ram goalkeeper the five inch gun or uh, mm. torpedo yeah, launchers we'll, we'll etc which we, we've taken those out but that means you've got 140 144 tubes of some description so that's well into the category of like well that's actually that is a santissima trinidad that they are the they are the 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 top end of the first. The South Koreans just... might not like that particular comparison, but yes, yeah. But um, and then, and then you have a look at say something like the Kirovs. So they've got 
again, actually, they've, I think they've actually got slightly more. They've got... They, they've been... They, well, they, they've undergone a fairly major refit, refit, haven't they? Yeah. yeah. Um, but, I mean, the at least some of them were carrying almost 100 surface-to-air missiles anyway. And then... So, uh, yeah, I'm just looking through, because the problem is there's so many... They've been refitted so many times. Yes. Um, and, and I think all... the latest one is they're supposed to carry 352 missiles of the the Kirov class, according missiles to the, the missile most... But some some of them some of them are point defence, um, which, yeah, which we're but... discounting. Like the you've got the. Um, I think it's roughly there's, there's 320. Roughly. There's enough space on the Peter the Great for like a truly stupid number of SAN9s, but the SAN9 is the navalized TOR missile system. It's a short-range point defense system, so you can't really include it. But I mean, you've got, um, I mean, they've they've worked, they've still got an awful lot. They've got like most of the the, the latest refit ones seem to have like 96 long-range surface-to-air missiles. They've got another 20 heavy anti-ship missile tubes which obviously originally were granite some the new refits probably bring in something else and probably something like zircon or whatever and there'd probably be more of them so whichever way you shape it uh, even ignoring the truly stupid number of san9s they're still they're still well into the first rate category um they are truly not things you want to come across (laughs) if you're a solo (laughs) ship Fortunately, there's only one of them around. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, 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 this is this is kind of where you put the, the asterisk in um, for some ships because you've got something like the Zumwalt, and it's got 80 launch cells. So technically, mm. if you're using the 1700s method, that puts it at the upper end of third rates. Um, if you're using the 19th century establishment method, you that's at the lower end of second rates. Mm-hmm. Um, which seems weird considering how big it is and the fact that actually the Burks would rate above it. But then you've got the, because you've got this this new um, vertical missile launch system that potentially has more ability than the, than the older one. Mm. So that this is where you put the asterisk in, and also there, there's there is room for expansion on the Burke's hull. To be perfectly honest, so and I mean, you know, if they had got their um, hypervelocity guns, then mm. you know that would count as well. But they haven't got them, yeah. so you know, um, yeah. So, but I, I think it's still, you know, it, it's still the raw number of tr- tubes that gives them. It's still one. It's still one shot. One one target. You know, mm. Fundamentally, it doesn't matter what what you come. If it's an offensive and it, weapon, you know, it, it doesn't matter if it's... Um, well, sorry. Quality does matter, of course. But uh, And you also have to remember that, honestly, when you start sort of talking about these things, and again, this goes right to the age of sale, the, you know, and back to the racism, it never is one shot, one kill. It never is. It always takes more than one shot to, t- to kill a target. A... You might miss with some. You might you might hit. You might hit some places which don't matter. You might hit a place which does matter. It's rare you do hit a ship and it blows up completely. Mm. Santa, tr- tr- <clears throat> we will we'll, we'll, we'll not talk about the one we've mentioned earlier already. Um, so this is one of the reasons why the rating system mattered. Why, if you were a 
fourth rate or a fifth rate, you tended to actually, by gentlemen's agreement, in a major battle, you would not engage the first and second rates of the enemy or the third rates, and in return, they wouldn't engage you. Because if they did, you were wiped out. Very, because of the sheer weight of fire. And that was the thing. It wasn't a case of their one shot, one kill. It was the sheer weight of fire they can bring to the engagement is not going to be good for you. And this feeds into another point, which will sort of thread through this, I think, this discussion, rather than having a sort of sectional. And this is something which Jamie is always is really one of the best authorities and people to bring up and talk about this is, is of course, Crete, where you had ships running out of ammunition providing the air defense. Now, this is the other thing. It's, it's not just having the missiles. It's having the resupplies. And this is the biggest asterisk I would put next to any rate we gave to a ship, any rating, would be, can they actually resupply the VLS at sea? And at well, the moment, would, as far make... as I'm sure, there's none which are crossing that, uh, getting that asterisk. I mean, there's the, there's theoretical capacities, but I think it's a few times it's been tried, and then people have gone, it's far too complicated and dangerous. I mean, it would make the whole rating system pretty much irrelevant, mm. you know, um, if you could if you could pr provide the logistics to to resupply on a you know on a on a rapid basis. But yeah. let's face it, you know, um, one of the things that I've often wondered about is this entire logistics system built up around the United States Navy supercarriers. You know, they can refuel it with um, aviation fuel. They can restock it with um, bombs and missiles for its fighters. Hmm. You know, uh, swap out personnel, fill up the freezers. Uh, but what does it do when all of the um, when when its uh, escorts have fired off all of its um, their missiles? Well, it has to turn around and go back to port with them, doesn't it? It's because those that that logistics train, that fleet train does not resupply the defensive missiles or even the offensive missiles well, of its is, escorts. Is this the other thing that people miss when we're talking about the aircraft carrier involved in the base? They're forgetting the aircraft carrier has the is the easiest to resupply of the ships in many ways, mm. and you can keep those aircraft providing air defence <laughs> more easily mm. than you can actually restock the ships which are supposed to be providing it. Well, I mean, when it comes to resupply as well, the other thing you've got to remember is the sheer, a lot. I think a lot of people forget is the sheer scale and size of modern ammunition, <clears throat> because and fragility. I would yeah, imagine. and because every everyone like when when you say oh surface to air missile, most people think if you said okay, well surface to air missile versus um, battleship shells, the vast majority of people will probably go oh yeah, well obviously a battleship shell is much bigger, much heavier. Because they envisage a missile as this kind of lightweight rocket thing. They basically envision a stinger. Every time mm. you talk to someone about a missile, they think about a single yeah. stinger. Whereas if you if you actually look the the standard missile SM2, SM3, SM6, it actually the the latest versions actually weighs fractionally more than the shell for uh, an eighteen point one inch gun on a Yamato class battleship. Um, and as Jamie said. It's a heck of a lot more fragile. Um, and when you look at them resupplying, I mean, yeah, they did do resupply at sea, but even back in World War II, they generally didn't like to resupply battleships with main battery shells at sea. And and that's in an era when you could just crane the, the shell onto the deck, onto a little trolley and have somebody wander off with it. 
which is a lot easier than trying to reload a VLS cell. I mean, they're trying to try to reload a VLS cell with a sort of a one and a half ton standard missile from another ship. So you've got two different ships doing two different, completely different sets of movement at sea. That would be like, it's effectively almost, almost the same as, as trying to stuff a battleship's shell down the gun barrel whilst the two ships are at sea from another ship. Um, which is 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 not not really the a task that's going to happen very easily. And the thing is, again, with a a battleship shell, if you mess it up, the worst you end up with is a slightly non-functional shell and some brass dinks around the barrel of the gun. I mean, completely ignoring the fact you can't actually load a battleship gun barrel uh, muzzle first anyway. But <laughs> never mind. Um, but yeah, but if you get out wrong or there's a sudden sharp movement in the ship with a a, a surface-to-air missile, you, you end up breaking it in half and rupturing the fuel. <laughs> so what Things get very difficult very quickly. So what you're saying to me is you always need to break it down into two movements. Getting the missile onto the ship in some, mm. uh, let's say, some sort of box crate form and then being able to position that crate over the VLS and either drop that into as a sort of mobile expendable tube or that so that you're just loading the crate rather than loading the fragile missile. And you've, so it's got this sort of protective layer around it, or it you can get it out of that crate and load it in, so that you're not got the two ships moving. But that's yeah. the only way you're going to really do it. But that's going to be complicated. Yeah, or, or the alternative. I, yeah, some of I think some of the early U.S. missile ships. I don't know if the Ticonderogas did, but I know some of the early ones actually had onboard cranes specifically for the purpose of um, reloading trying to reload their missile systems mm. but even then even though the crane is attached to the ship you've still got the problem of yeah, the motion. the yeah, the motion of, and it's still swinging so yeah i think if, if you had some kind of container box even if it's an expendable thing that you had the missile in and then you had a crane on the ship but that adds weight and adds issues with stability um you could theoretically have that picking up this box and then positioning it and you'd have to have people on out on the vls farm sort of guiding it in and locking it in and then once it's locked in you could reload so it'd be, it would almost almost be close to the process of reloading torpedo tubes in world mm. war Two. so it's like yes in theory you could do it but it's going to be an incredibly manpower intensive effort and let's face it there's not an awful lot of open deck space on the mm. forward part of a ship anyway the, the crews who usually do it are the sort of crews who are, um, well, let's be honest, had a leavening of pre, uh, quite a large leavening of pre-war, very well-drilled personnel to draw from, or were later in the war, i.e. after they got experience. Yeah. It wasn't something which you did with a fresh crew. But it's, I say, if it's like if you look at the if you look at the front deck space available on an Arleigh Burke, where or or anywhere where there's the missile launchers. Where are you going to position these missiles whilst you're when you're resupplying? You're going to have to lift them on. You're going to have to stack them on their side um, because you're not. You're definitely not going to do, set up a, a domino tower whilst you're at sea in the and, multi-mission bay or the hangar. But That's then the you, only you, options. You, but one and a half tons. If you're going to resupply, you're going to have to put them basically within reach of the crane that's going to stick them into the VLS tubes. You can't put them yeah. elsewhere on the ship because. You Good haven't luck. got a rail system moving them around no. to move them around with. Not no, like you used so. to when you had shells. 
So um, you're, you're, you're going to end up with this rather odd situation where you're going to have various parts of, of, of the Burke potentially covered in stacked tube, tubes full of um, missiles. And then you've got these cranes that are going to have to be trying to reload it. So it's, it's going to take forever and a day. And whilst so, you're doing this, you're vulnerable because the one thing you're not going to be doing whilst you're doing this reloading at sea is launching missiles because you've got boxes of missiles all over the deck. So we've got these big, bulky, ultra-fragile things uh, next to impossible to move from ship to ship and then from ship into the mm. container. So this, I guess I guess that's why this hasn't been done. Yeah. I mean, obviously, there must be a reason why it hasn't been done. And you know, I, I guess it's fairly obvious that that is the reason. But which brings me to my next thought, which is mm. how many rounds per gun did Yamato have? Did sorry, how many rounds per gun did Yamato have? Um, a couple of hundred. Yeah. What rounds per gun? I think I think it was about was it about sixty per gun? Um, from so memory, I guess it's the magazines, isn't it? The magazines yeah. contain several hundred rounds, but they each serve a turret. Let's have a quick look. Um, but my point being is, is that you know, okay, it had one launch system with sixty. It's hundred well, rounds per hundred rounds per gun so for Yamatos. Okay, yeah. So it's so it probably the other, other some of the other shit. Yeah. I mean, with volume volume on something the size of a Yamato is a bit of a <laughs> bit forgiving. And if yes. you go down to cruisers, you usually were talking two hundred fifty, three hundred rounds per gun. Yes. Hmm. So these days we have one, unless it's in a quad pack, which makes it a point defense anyway. Yeah. So why don't we have magazines, or should we have magazines? Well, you see, the, this was the interesting thing, and I think when missiles were one of the things that don't that we don't point out is that actually, when if you consider the first generation of missiles, especially in the British service, were to replace the forty millimeter, and they were actually man movable, and they were actually able to be resupplied at sea, and they C were down. stored in a magazine, and they were carried. Not see that it was, was it Sea Cat? A Sea Cat was it? A Sea Cat? Yeah, or Sea Slug? Sea Slug? Sea Slug? Sea Slug? Sea Slugs were big. Yeah, they were huge. Yeah. The Sea Cat was the one that you basically rearm. Yeah, um, yeah. You got yeah. some very, very. By the way, uh, if anyone wants to know who were the biggest, beefiest members in the Royal Navy in about the 1960s, you go to, and every time they were recruiting for the gun team, they would go to one particular group on the ship, the Sea Cat, uh, the Sea Cat Rearmer unit or group the people who were responsible for reloading a sea cat because they were literally chosen for being mahusive and tough because they had to pick up these things and there wasn't the space so one man would have to pick up the missile each missile the energy can and load and if you got it wrong or dropped it that there goes half your ship so um they were very big very capable gentlemen who were chosen because they had a rather large amount of how do I put this politely pack horse, pack horse in their DNA <laughs> and they're also I've met a fair number of them they're also some of the nicest people you will ever meet they're, lo they're lovely the, the number of them who are but I, I, I did laugh in one story about them where a captain was doing a boarding action on a ship and they said uh, we don't have any marines aboard at the moment so because various reasons i think probably budget cuts up or something he said don't worry do we have the sea cat team yes give them rifles 
And so the captain did this, did the boarding himself because he was bored. Goes on the ship and it had been causing trouble. Said, okay, we're going to cause trouble. Sees the sheer size of the eight per- sailors behind the captain and decides they're not going to cause any trouble at all. None at all. In fact, possibly the remark was made that why are they carrying rifles? Are they just using them for toothpicks? <laughs> it's about, back I mean, to magazines. Back magazines. Yeah, magazines. I mean, they, they did... magazine Magazines for missiles did exist at one mm-hmm. point because you had the, the swing arm launchers that presaged the, um, the VLS tubes. And the main reasons that the main reasons the swing arm launchers went away were mostly to do with rate of fire you can with vls you can just fire off missiles faster or at least you could at the time with the technology available at the time um and the because you know, obviously a vls tube has direction here yeah i mean the vls tube doesn't really have that many moving parts so it's less prone to mm. break down which which is also good so yeah it's, it's rate of fire and breakdown um issues now obviously any swing arm moving system is going to have more moving parts, therefore going to be more prone to breaking down than a, a VLS is. But I suspect the rate of fire issues probably could be solved with more modern technology. Mm. Um, and and, and but, I mean, ultimately, though, I imagine that the swing arms probably wouldn't have had more than what was ava- than what more missiles available feeding that than our um, VL- no. well, VLS stack anyways. The, I mean, I, I was thinking that there, there's one class of ships that's got, uh, depending on the ship, has both had swing arm launchers and VLS, which is the Ticonderogas. Mm. And the latter versions of those, they carry uh, 122 missiles in their VLS systems, got 261 cells, mm. um, plus some harpoons, which technically makes them 130 quote-unquote gunships. So they're, they're well into the first rate ship of the line mm. category um but the mark 26 uh units the the swing arm launchers their last variant uh their last mod had 64 missiles per magazine so actually technically okay. three more um i don't know if the mod 5 was installed on the ticonderoga so again it's not not my necessary area of speciality mm. but you can you can do that um, or at least it, it could be done in some way, shape, or form. But I think one of the things is that it, it's the missiles themselves take up a certain volume of space, and big missiles like they the standard big, missile, yes. they th- that's going to take up a significant volume within your ship. I think the main the main difference is that especially these days with ships getting larger, um, such as. The, yeah, the Zumwalt's large, large surface combatant, etc. I think if they can get swing arm launchers that will fire, that can maintain a similar rate of fire to VLS cells, they might, you might see something of a comeback of the magazine because the VLS system is limited by deck space. Um, you, you can only, you can only position VLS launches in so many places on a ship um because of the, the not just the blast effect of the missile taking off but also you, you physically have to have you know the the space in the upper decks to to put the launcher whereas with a um 
with the with the swing arm launcher, you've got obviously the feed system coming up through the deck, much like a shell hoist in a World War One or World War Two ship. But the magazine can actually be as deep as you like. So you can have, and you can even have maybe multiple multiple layers of magazine if you've got a big enough ship. Obviously, with you can't have VLS tubes under VLS tubes, but if you've got a big enough ship with enough vertical uh, space in it, you could even have, like you have the shell rooms and the magazines one on top of the other, or the other way around, depending on which navy you were in. You could almost have a a, a two layer magazine. So if it if it takes up a sort of from top down area to say have I don't know, let's say forty eight missiles, you could have another forty eight underneath, which gives you ninety six missiles for your twin arm launcher. And as long as your twin arm or however many arm launcher can spit out missiles at roughly comparable speed to a VLS, you've actually got a lot more, um, a lot more capability at that point. And well, there you are just raised another point just before we go on. Yeah. Another point, and it's always taken as a definite. But there's part of me which sits there and goes, "Well, there have been some studies, but they've never seemed to be well funded and never seemed to be actually." done properly well not so done properly but actually allowed to really develop as as they could do in that why can't you have a second layer of vls below the vls if you have a deep enough big enough ship why can't you have a system where okay vls box out boom that goes off another box pops up into position because we've been talking about reloading from the top down and how difficult that is but if you've already stacked it ashore with the boxes underneath the box come is uh, it launches, boom, then you t- just press the cycle button. And th- this bit comes up, it falls I, I, off. It's like sus- shell casings yeah. coming I out. Suspect a single use, I suspect a single-use box is probably going to take up more volume than a dedicated launch tube, mm. which means you'd be reducing the overall numbers just because it'd be taking up more space per missile. And then you'd have to introduce some kind of hydraulic ram motor or something to punch the next one up and so on and so forth but the the other thing i was going to say is especially these days there i think there is another potential reason to at least have a look at potential seeing what we can do with modern technology with swing arm launchers which is that one of the advantages that the swing arm launcher had over the vls although it was considered not enough of one to to keep it instead of VLS was that you could point the missile in the direction of the target before it launched. So the missile was heading straight towards the target from the moment, from the word go. Whereas with a VLS, obviously the missile has to pop up clear of the ship, then tip over and start accelerating away, which means for your your booster charges, wasting a certain amount of energy, getting the missile vertically up, which may not be where you want it to be going unless you're doing ballistic missile defense. But it's also got to then tip over, align itself, and then start accelerating. So it's a second, two, three seconds, depending on the missile type, delay between launch and the start of practical engagement, which back in the 1980s probably was fine. But these days, with hypersonics and and high-end supersonics, that one or two second difference might make this, especially with the kind of rate of fire you could pull off these days, might make the difference between getting another half dozen missiles downrange or not. And that could make all the difference in the world if <laughs> if you're trying to defend yourself against a high speed threat. 
Um, yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah, so it's almost it's almost like you need, you know, um, one of each. Mm. So you've got your VLS pack <laughs> for um, uh, you know the rapid fire, I suppose, mm. if you haven't got the swing arm technology refined, and then you've got your swing arm for sustained fire. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, um, I mean, which I, I, I suppose you know, adding cost, adding complexity mm. uh, to a sh- to a ship's design. Um, but, if you know, it really, because just... think about where you could stick a VL, uh, you could stick the swing arm launch of us, where you could stick the uh, the the VLS. This is the thing, because if you consider the list of flight deck space, right? I could stick a rotary lo- a, a, a swing arm launcher on top of a hangar quite easily all i need to do is have a chute which can bring the missiles up to it and that is a very small amount of space compared to a vls quad pack and it's a far less top weight than it is a vls a vls pack up there on top of a hangar and there you go i've got that sitting over my hangar that has a nice field of fire now and i've got all the other space up front for my vls yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, again, it's yeah, it's sort of outside of my technical scope, so I, mm. I probably won't take it any further than that. But I can certainly, I, I do, just have a you know a bit of a nagging question in you know in my gut as to the value of you know the ultra rapid fire versus having the ability to sustain fire. Mm. And personally, I think you know um, that. When you look at those incidents, as I said, off Crete, um, where you've got nice, shiny town-class cruisers and uh, colony-class cruisers suddenly just having to defend themselves from um, Stukas for three days, and by the halfway through the second day, <clears throat> halfway through the third day, they're out of shells and they're, they're firing blanks just in order to, you know, deter... <laughs> those stickers and of course it didn't work at all um you've got you've got to you've got to wonder what's the value of a ship that's only got eight 12 16 rounds mm. yes which is does bring us to the belgian navy at this point which are building a very nice large frigate uh, in conjunction with the dutch Dutch ships are getting 16 cells. Mm-hmm. The Belgian is getting eight. Yeah, they're doing the usual building it for, but not with. So, yeah. Although the hilarious yeah. thing is it's, it's literally they have the space for the cells. You can see it's a common design. Mm-hmm. It's just on the on the Dutch ship, you've got two blocks of eight next to each other. And on, on the, the uh, Danish ship, They've literally just plated over not one of the Belgian, eight blocks. Not the Danish. Oh, Belgian, yes, yeah, sorry, on the Belgian. The Danish they... would not do this. The, da- no. the Danish, we love the Danish Navy. They would, if you try to do this to the Danish Navy, I'm fairly sure there'll be a small re- re- revolution in Denmark. The Vikings would sail again. Uh, look, look, you know, this is just the, the, the age-old problem of building for, but not with. You know, um, I, I think that it's a, you know, it's purely a political, budgetary. Um, decision and you know it's these decisions have to be made the only problem with building for but not with is that there's a certain assumption that 
you will, you will have access to another one of these uh, VLS cells yeah. when you need it. I think that's, and, that um, is the big problem because yeah, there, there's a difference. And you'll have a space where you can fit it. You'll have the time in a shipyard to take it out, wire it in, do all the necessary checks to fit it in. This is why fitted for not with is basically the same as fitted not. Yes, but there's two different grades to that because, as as Jamie was saying, you've like for for all the fact people like to rag on the fact that Type 45s were fitted for but not with harpoons. The fact was the the Royal Navy had the harpoon box launchers they had the harpoon missiles they just weren't installed on the type 45s if push came to shove they could rip them out of the old type 42s or pull them out of warehouses and stick them on because they physically had those assets mm. i rather suspect that i i, I well please wait i don't suspect i'm near enough certain that the Belgian Navy is not going to have a warehouse sitting around with a bunch of eight cell VLS systems and appropriate missiles to stick in them, just waiting for the call to war. If, if, if war gets declared and let's face it, if war gets declared and the Belgians are somehow involved, it's probably world war three. Um, well, yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's the other point about Belgium is, is, you know, what have they got to worry about? All they've got to worry about is a bunch of rogues across the channel. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and, you know, and to and be apart perfectly honest, that, if we are going to go and steal the Belgian Navy, we would the rather they, they were, coming again. We would rather they actually had a fully fitted out ship for us to incorporate into the Royal Navy. It's very, very <laughs> impolite to leave us with work to do. Yeah, learn <laughs> but, you know, from the uh, French uh, and the Napoleonic Wars. When we take your yeah. ships, we want to be able to use them against you. <laughs> but the point is, is that you know they would be able to provide some use. In a, in a NATO kind of reforger Atlantic convoy situation. Really? I mean, Who's well, going yeah. to want them? Who would want that <laughs> coming with them? Going, is, it's got yeah. eight cells. What can I do with it? Quad pack it with a sea sparrow. Oh, great. So I have a large well, floating target which can just about defend itself. Why do I want it anywhere near my task group? It's a drain on resources. I mean, I mean, it, could be, it could absorb a few missiles. That would be intended for the otherwise intended for more useful vessels. Yes, yeah, but was, officially we are not allowed to use allied ships as sacrificial lambs anymore. It's just not allowed. It does have <laughs> other capabilities. Look, it's, if it was manned by the Royal Australian Navy, maybe. Let's all the, Again, or the Polish you've got to, in the you've Second got to, World War. You've got to but, take into account the context of of Belgium. You know, there's no way that Belgium is going to be there in the South China Sea. It just hasn't got the size, the economy, the strength to do that, no matter what ship it has. So it's it's building it to be part of, you know, the the, the NATO environment. Yeah, but even the even then, to be honest, at that point, you want a ship to at least have a basic self-defense capability. Um, you know, which, as you say, quad packed, eight. In, uh, you know, four, four um, missiles per in each of those eight. It's a decent um, self-defense ability, really, for a frigate. Yeah, but it's, it's very short. Two sea sparrows. Mm -hmm. It's very short range, and it's very it's very short range. And to be perfectly honest, I'd like the, it's kind of okay. Let's acknowledge they're not going to be frontline combatants um, on the scale of. A constellation or a type 26 or other frigates of that kind of scale but you'd 
you'd still want them to be able. Uh, so you, there's got to be a minimum viable standard here, some somewhere where I mean, I I would put it on a on a grade of like say with with the what was that that's the Saudi Arabian ship I think that got blown up off of Yemen. Um, I, w- was no, it? I wouldn't. Com- yeah, I know what you're talking about. That was but, the, but uh, like, the, the, the the catamaran. The um... yeah, but but I mean, okay, that that's it's not a warship, but it's it's that kind of scenario. If you're sailing off the shore of a third world country that's in the middle of some kind of conflict, and some genius on shore has that's... managed to get their hold hands on like a brace of silkworm launchers or something, you're, and they send you're, the again, though, you're looking change. you're looking at you're look, you're looking at a, a Belgian ship from a Royal Navy perspective. Belgium isn't there. But if it's part of NATO... Not, it's, it's building an anti-submarine warfare frigate as part yes. of NATO. Yes, it is. No, but, 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 you're, but you're looking at... You look at NATO, both NATO and UN peacekeeping missions and such like, and presence missions, which the Belgians will inevitably get involved with at some point. Um, or and even anti-piracy operations an anti-submarine like a type 23 or a type 26 or constellation or whatever is perfectly adequate to do the anti-piracy mission and yes this belgian ship would probably be perfectly fine to do the anti-piracy mission as well which means at some point you'll probably end up with one of them being sent out there but if you've got um an anzac or a constellation or a type 26 or a type 23 or whatever floating around if some genius in somalia has managed to, to to sort of scavenge a couple of silkworms and just just like oh i don't like these anti-piracy measures and volleys a couple of them off completely out of the blue those kinds of ships you would probably expect to be able to sh- to counter them to shoot those down out uh, or, or sort of in a rapid reaction if you've got a ship that's that anemically armed like the belgian ship it's entirely possible you could get your your expensive multi-million pound warship blown out of the water by a bunch of people driving Toyota Hiluxes who just happened let, to happen to happen to get some the, like wish so wish.com discount silkworms. But this is where I tell you this is we where are I tell you that about the... a ship which is going to be twi- two to three times the cost of a type 31 and yet if I had to pick which one I was in in a war zone I would be on the Type 31 waving the flag, singing Rule Britannia and watching as it sank. And I'm talking about the Belgian ship. Once again, let's just get back into some context here. You mentioned the Anzac class earlier. Yeah. That's got an eight-cell sea sparrow launcher. Okay. Mm. Yeah. So that's less than what this new Belgian Well, Well, it's the same number of cells. Yeah, now in theory, the Belgian ship can quad pack ESSM. Well, this, this is only a, yeah, this is only a sea sparrow launcher. It's not a yeah, but but the thing is, it, it's it's what I would call it, it's ref, it's reflective of an attitude. Because if you're if you've got a ship where someone else is building identical ships and they have sixteen cells, and you're just saying they go no no no, we're just going to go with eight. As we said, the chances the Belgians going to have those other eight VLS tubes sitting around somewhere for ready refit is very low. What exactly do you think the chances are that the Belgians are actually going to send the ships out fully yes. loaded? Oh, look, I, I, <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm agreeing with that, but but I'm just saying that you know, as an anti-submarine warfare frigate, mm. it's you know, it, it's 
very similarly to the Anzacs at the moment. Uh, although yeah, apparently the An- they were the An- built between about 20 years ago. Mm. Also, they started building in 1993 and came into uh, and finished building in 2006. So they were started planned probably in the, ni- in the 1970s, 1980s. So we're, ta- we're saying that, oh, don't worry, they have roughly the same capability as a ship which was built 40 years ago for the Australians. And, and is also half the size. Yes. Because the, these, new, these new Belgian frigates are supposed to be five and a half-ish thousand tonnes. Um, the Anzacs are sort of three and a half, three and a bit thousand tons soaking wet. So, <laughs> uh, I, I guess, I guess, I guess we'll save this debate for um, when the the next British frigate um, specs. Are made yeah, when the Type Thirty Two pops up, whatever that's yes, going to uh, be. But we all know what the Type Thirty Two is going to be because of the way the Type Thirty One contract was negotiated, and um, uh, save the Royal Navy. Uh, a, a very interesting website, if you haven't seen it, has done a whole article on this, and I've had similar conversations with various people coming around. And basically, the way the Type 31 contract has been negotiated, if the British government wants to make changes, they can't. That would they can't they can't make any changes. They've bought a fire off. The, they've bought the ships off the plan. That's done. So, in order to get the next ten years worth of technology in, they have to have a new design. So it's going to be called the Type 32. They can't officially award it straight to Babcock because they're supposed to do um, dual or sort of uh, they're supposed to be open bidding and other people are supposed to be able to contest. But let's be honest, they're going to have a frigate factory. They're going to have two. They're going to have one which is churning out Type 26s and eventually the Type 45 successor. And they're going to have the Babcock one. The BAE one is churning out the Type 26 and then we'll be taking on presumably the Type 45 successor. Probably going to be the Type 47. I know people keep talking about the Type 46. I sincerely doubt they're going to base the Type 45 successor on the very expensive anti-submarine warfare orientated hull design of the Type 26. Rather than going for a far more stable, a far more higher speed, but slightly more stable for missile operations. Uh, air defense hull i'm fairly sure the royal navy is going to do that but that means you have a frigate factory which is free and so the odds are the type 32 is going to be a type 31 with 10 years more technology added in that's actually it and you will probably have the type 32 beginning construction while the last type 31 is still being built fair enough but okay let's get back to the whole um rating system yeah. i guess we've i guess we've determined that at no um point in the near future will we be having um reloadable pls cells right. and, that the retur- and that the return of swing arms are probably not going to be just around the corner either because so therefore- that would be practical and it would also look it would look like they were going technology backwards so let's be honest no one's going to do that so we're left with but even, you know, but even if they kick in today it's still going to take a good 10 years to get a system out because that's how long it takes to get modern technology through the pipeline so the rating system is back to being valid again you've yeah. got mm-hmm. a, a number of cells and each cell represents a level of capability yeah yeah so um, you know, this, and you're back this to is why, this what, is, this, the, what is an eight cell ship? What was it? An eight gun ship is the unrated. smallest of brig, unrated. Um, yeah, you, I, have, you sure. have to hit, you have to be hitting 16, 20 guns to be even counting 
as a as a as a sixth rate. So basically, the Belgians are no longer building a navy. They're building a three and a half thousand ton, no, five and a half thousand ton. I'm not sure what show pony. Anti submarine, which they didn't have in the Age of Sail. No, and you're calling it an anti-submarine ship, but are you're so, but basically you're presuming that the submarine is going to be trying to get into I don't know torpedo range of you, rather than just go. You know what? I'll volley off a couple of missiles. It does have a heli uh, hel- helicopter on pad. Well, at least there'll be somewhere for some people to evacuate from. Yeah, <laughs> isn't that the same for, for for all anti-submarine vessels? I mean, seriously. Uh, you can't just pick on the Belgians here. I think if, if if they were the thing was if they had come out and said we're building a frigate with an eight cell quad pack ESSM launcher, on the face of it, you might have looked and gone, okay, it's a little bit underarm, but if they fully stock it, okay ish. But if someone had said that to me, I would be expecting to see something that was barely larger than a Corvette. I, mean, I was vi- expecting to see it have 40 millimeter and 57 millimeter guns on it. I'd be expecting it to be uh, festooned with other things that are going to make up for the fact yeah. that it has that it's mean, got such a limited armament. Although it wasn't fitted with it, um, it in the end, but the Visby class Corvettes were supposed to have 12 surface-to-air missiles on them, and they those things aren't even they're not even 700 tons. So. Um, uh, th- so th- 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 they're quite small corvettes, but it, again, another ship I would rather be on in in a combat operation yeah. than the Belgian frigate. But this is the thing: it's like if someone says oh, that we're taking an eight 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 cell quad pack ESSM frigate design out, just based on that, my my imagination would immediately go for be looking at something in the sort of two and a half to three and a half thousand ton range. A kind of it, a small frigate, the kind of like some of the stuff the French Navy has holdover, some of its holdover designs from some of the stuff you see floating around in some of the other smaller navies, some of the, like stuff the Brazilian an Navy expanded has. Expanded river class OPV or hmm. something like that is what I would be expecting if you tell me that they are just relying on quad packed ESSM. I'm not expecting something which is going to be involved in an actual fleet operations because. This, you're talking about her as an anti-submarine warfare frigate. That's good, right? Anti-submarine warfare frigates do not operate on top of the convoy. They operate quite a far, uh, quite a way away to try and keep the submarines away. They've got towed array sonar on these sort of things, so they need to be capable of independent operations. I cannot send that thing if I'm the convoy commander out that far away because I need to protect it because it can't protect itself. But surely that can be said for so many frigates that are in service right now yes but as i said these frigates that those frigates are small those frigates and are up. the kind of thing you'd expect to be that yeah you'd expect them to to die horribly and they are legacy <laughs> designs they are oh. they've been in service a long time this is a ship which hasn't even been built yet yeah we're, and, telling, and, we're saying it's out of date and useless before it's actually yeah. even had steel cuts and the, the, i think the main thing it comes down to size yeah at five and a half thousand tons yeah it, 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 there isn't an excuse i mean a, a type 23 which is a ship that the first the first steel was cut for the type 23s before i was born mm-hmm. uh, and i'm not I'm not old, but I'm also not necessarily the youngest person around these days either. Um, 
Although you and I are about the uh, joint, uh, are, are sort of the same age here, so you yeah. know we are the youngest but, technically. But the thing is, yeah, that the, the type the type twenty threes. James is planning on killing us now. <laughs> they're early. They're early to mid eighties technology. Yeah. They're six hundred tons. They're basically an entire Visby class lighter than these new ships, and they have a thirty two cell VLS system plus harpoons etc and they are an anti-submarine warfare frigate so you you can't tell me that with all the advancements in compact modern technology etc that we've had in the past 35 36 years that they the belgians have somehow managed to add a visby class corvette's worth of displacement and end up with lesser defensive systems and the, the, the fact that the the Dutch variant is sitting right there next to it with double the defensive systems is basically underlines the point entirely. Um, yeah. you, it, it's, it's the, it's, it's the same. I mean, let's see. It's like, it's yeah. If we take it by, by tubes, so 16 tubes, or even if we took it by missiles or whatever, but it's, if we look at other similar ships of that size using our rating system like say a type 23 you're looking at something at the in the lower order of maybe a, a small fifth rate and then you've got it's the equivalent of seeing a small fifth rate or a, or a large sixth rate sailing around except you've stripped out all the guns from the main gun deck and you've just got the bound stern chasers and whatever the captain happens to want to put on the quarter deck and, and and people go. This is this is our warship, yes. And everyone's going. No, this is this is basically a, a, an inefficient East Indiaman. <laughs> and if, before anyone starts saying, actually, they did used to do it. Yes, they did use to arm certain times ships on flute when they were transporting troops on doing things like that. You would sometimes take an older warship, strip out the guns, and use those spaces for carrying troops. There again, if you were Admiral, um, was it Thomas Cochrane? It was the uh, it was the older one. Um, there are a couple of them. Mm-hmm. Basically, uh, the gentleman who decided to who was eventually sent to deal with the America America in the War of eighteen twelve in about eighteen thirteen eighteen fourteen, and was the one who the Americans really really didn't like taking on because he turned out to be competent at his job and have rather competent ships. His idea of on flute was. Well, people can sleep on guns. Uh, This ship is on flute, yes. That's why it's a troop transport, so you can't take it away from me. But it's still got its full load of guns. It needs to support the troops. Uh, (laughs) So... I mean, yeah, but again, though, staying in that era, how often did those ships run out of ammunition? Very rarely. Well, we we do have one Mm. good example. Yeah, there's a there's there's I mean there's a few examples. There's a there's a lot of examples of well not a lot. There's more examples of ships breaking off action because they're running low on ammunition, mm. um, or quite often actually occasionally they'd actually be running out of powder before they run out of of um, shot shot. Yeah, yeah. but it, it 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 depends an awful lot on the on the type of vessel because. You're not usually going to see a, a ship of the line breaking off for lack of ammunition or of, of whether it be shot or powder, but that's because generally the ships of the line would sail with specific missions in mind. If they were a third rate doing patrol, they had such an overwhelming power 
compared to frigates and and privateers that they didn't need to expend a lot of ammunition per engagement um whereas and obviously if they're going into a in a big naval battle like trafalgar or saints or first of june or what cape st vincent etc they'd go in they'd have that battle and then that would be done where you tended to see ships running low or out of ammunition tended to be more the initially the fourth rates and then as they phased out of service the, the fifth rates the frigates that were doing the long-range patrols because they'd be capturing a lot of ships they'd be so they'd be firing a lot of ammunition if they were engaging enemy frigates and other similar sized vessels because it was more of a peer engagement they'd end up firing off a lot more ammunition so after several engagements you could have ships either breaking off and returning home to restock and resupply or more commonly at that period just finding something particularly heavily armed on the enemy side capturing it and then looting it for all its powder and ammunition because gunpowder is gunpowder is gunpowder um with a few slight variations at that period and at least in the frigate terms when talking about 12 pounders and 18 pounders and the odd 24 most people's ammunition was roughly interchangeable so enough that they could tend to modify it if they needed you know yeah uh, they you, you'd add some uh, you put some wrap some cloth around it or something like that but that's the thing these days even even if you somehow manage to capture an enemy combatant uh, a soviet san9 or a whatever the chinese designation for their surface air missiles is they're never going to work in your Arleigh Burke oh, or I mean, Type 45. It could, it could have worked in the, uh, the Falklands. You might have. Yeah. Yes, this is true. I mean, this is this is one of the great advantages. If you export weapons to everybody, you can then just take them back <laughs> with the ships. But, yes. You know, the okay, so, so, operators, Britain. So, so how how long will those um, carriers, whether it's the Queen Elizabeth or um, the uh, Ronald Reagan, be able to, you know? hang around the south china sea before they have to turn around because their um, escorts have run out well this this is one of the problems i mean i think we covered we touched on this a little bit um last time but um from talking to a few people subsequently and and looking looking up some numbers assuming that they actually load everybody for pure surface to air warfare as opposed to a mixed loading the u.s has about enough standard missiles for all of its standard missile launchers to be fully stocked with one set of reloads um that probably extends to maybe a reload and a half maybe two reloads if they're gonna mix things up with quad pack essm various surface strike missiles etc but that's not an awful lot i mean it's, it, it is physically an awful lot of missiles you're talking about well over ten thousand missiles but there's an awful lot of VLS tubes as well, so you you expend you can expend however much at, um, missile however many missiles. And let's face it, you're not going to be if someone's launched a mass wave of anti-shipping missiles, a uh, uh, nuclear-powered carrier. The very last thing on any U.S. Navy captain's mind is going to be, ah, yes, we must conserve our missile stocks. <laughs> They're going to be I mean, throwing everything I mean, they've got. Well, just 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 as a case in point, let's let's think of the. Um the deployment of the uh, Queen Elizabeth. Mm. So we've got a rough idea of what it's, what, the, what that um, task force is going to be. We know, we know yeah. it's got a, a Burke going with it. We know it's got others. I mean, look, given that the other day we had a quote-unquote mock 
strike launched against um, a US carrier from a, a Chinese force entering the, econo- the, the exclusive economic zone, therefore therefore not breaching its uh, airspace, but still mm. of uh, Taiwan. Um, you know, each of those H6Ks could carry two strike missiles mm-hmm. or one um, of the of the faster um, you know, semi-ballistic missiles. Yeah. So there was about, I don't know, eight or ten of them. So let's just say, you know, f- f- 20 missiles there mm-hmm. in that in that strike package. So I imagine that, you know, you'd probably want to shoot at least two missiles towards each incoming missile just to make sure that you've got a decent chance of getting them. Mm-hmm. You know, what percentage of the uh, Elizabeth Task Group's um, defensive missiles would be soaked up in that one strike? Well, if you've got 20 missiles... Um... And you've got two Type 45s, two Type 23s, an Arleigh Burke, and... Well, it's going to be... Other, uh, there, what's the other frigate? There's another frigate going on there, isn't there, from the... Is it the, da- it's the Danish Type 31 uh, model version uh, idea? It's the Ivor Hoodfeld? Mm. One of those cars? Well, I mean, it's... If, if you're launching... To, if you're hoping two missiles... I mean, let's say 50 missiles, because you're going to probably be wanting to launch two missiles at each incoming and then a balance for potential double misses. So let's say you're expending 50 missiles or thereabouts. So that and those means are coming from your S, your long range, longer range missiles. So that's so, the, the Burke and the 45. So that means yeah. you're either you're either running one of the type 45s out of missiles or the type 40, both type 45s are down to half stocks. And the, the and the Burke, Burke is, hasn't expended any, or the Burke is either half out or out of ammo, or if it, or, or if e, e, all three ships are expending like a, just over a dozen a piece, like fifteen, sixteen missiles. Presuming the Burke is loaded with all uh, loaded with all their defence missiles, the Burke yes. will be loaded with some quad pack missiles, some land attack mm. talams. So let's say she's carrying 48 SM, uh, SM6s. Mm. Let's just go for 48 so SM6s. It's, it's, so you're so, probably going to expend about a third of the third of your long-range surface-to-air missiles, yeah. depending against that strike. Mm. Doesn't really provide much um, sustainability for your operation, does it? Well, I mean, no. it, means, it means at that point you've got, you can withstand two strikes of that size, and then, back, yeah. and then at that point you're going to have to start thinking about turning back because the next strike that comes in either has to be of that size and you have to be reasonably lucky to, to survive or else if the enemy shows up with a slightly larger strike than that you've got problems and let's face it uh-huh. china china putting together three strike waves each of which can lob 20 surface to surface or air to surface missiles at you is not exactly going to be stretching or taxing their logistics over much no but uh, uh, but on top of that of course you're also looking at i i guess this is the whole reason why they came up with the, with the area denial tactic because Let's face it, you can hold a hell of a lot more missiles on a artificial island mm. than you can on a on a cruiser, destroyer, yeah. a frigate. And so and, why, and, why why are we building frigates and destroyers now? Well this is the, I mean this plays into two things that I've been saying before. One of which is this need to I think rebalance especially the US Navy, because 
in, like in this scenario, twenty. If the Burke is the point ship and it has to handle the in, the, the the self defense duties, it's going to run itself out of surface to air missiles in that engagement. Yeah in its current loading format but if the burke is actually carrying a full load of surface to air missiles then even if a single burke is taking up that that defensive load in a sort of a mildly worst case scenario it's still got enough missiles left for another full engagement and that's one that. escort and the if burke you've got wouldn't... if you've got multiple burks then it, like let's say you've got or, or burke equivalent ships that can carry as many surface to, mm. long-range surface to air missiles if they're fully tuned for that if you've got three or four of them then all of a sudden that kind of attack wave profile that you're looking at now has to launch itself six or eight times against you and to be honest if you haven't pulled off your mission by the time the chinese have managed to launch half a dozen or more large strikes against you you're probably doing something else wrong but um, the type the type 45s at the moment with 48 cells would be in a lot more trouble which is again one of you've got the u.s navy they re, i think they need to refocus on the burks doing their service to a missile role exclusively hand off the other stuff to other ships other platforms but not the, the san antonio class though not the san antonio no, class unless they no. make the unless they make the uh, honestly not an arsenal ship gov out of it as we were discussing last episode oh, but if they make that then yeah let, 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 let her go play yeah. let her go but, play but also on top of that, you've with with the Type Forty Fives. I think they the the time is long past for them to get their additional VLS. Mm. They need they need that additional VLS because, and I, I think that one of the other reasons we have sort of I've had fairly strong reaction to the Belgian one is again it's this attitude of everything will be fine, everyone will play nicely, everyone will play to our to, to the way we want to do things now, if we are economizing on our navy therefore everyone else must be economizing on our navy and we've seen this approach time and time and time and time again where Let's, you get a nation that goes oh yes but we don't want to spend a lot of money on our navy and somehow that turns into no one else is going to spend a lot of money on their navies and then it turns out the people who actually did spend money on their navies go and walk all over you and this is the point when you're talking about the burks when you're talking about the Darings. Let's say we put the darings with 16, uh, Mark, uh, 16 Mark 41 VLS, and let's say we actually quad load them with CAM so they can concentrate all their Asta, all their silver launches on having Asta 30s, on having the longer range, a longer range Asta we have currently have, a, a longer range sort of Sea Viper we have missile in, in service. So they end up with 48 of those and 64 CAM missiles. As their uh, as their air defence overload, right? So that means they have more than enough to defend themselves. And if they are near an aircraft carrier, there isn't much, there's going to be a lot in any way which is of missiles heading towards an aircraft carrier, which is taken out by CAM as well, because it's marginally better than Sea Sparrow. But that's mainly because it's newer. I was sure the next generation of Sea Sparrow will be better than the next generation of CAM, and then the next generation of CAM will be better than the next generation of Sea Sparrow. It's the life it works. Um, if you're talking about a Burke, okay, I could, if I'm loading that fully for air, bear on air, again, I could load it with 80 standard missiles and I would have 64 sea sparrows in the 16 remainder of the earth. That thing would be an absolute nightmare for an air defensive profile to attack. You have a couple of those sitting in your SARS group and you're going, 
so uh, you want to come play? You really want to come play? Because but how many times yeah. can they come out and play? Mm. Well, the thing is, you we're talking about them coming out and playing and launching their missiles, but you also have to think about the same thing that was happening to the Argentinians in the Falklands War, the same thing that would be happening in hopefully any of this environment, in that your fighters are hopefully in a position where they can either engage those bombers or engage the missiles. If they don't have to chase down the missiles because your air defense screen you can rely on has enough missiles doing deal with it, so that can they can afford to chase down the bombers. And but, maybe uh, yeah, they so... get them before the launch, maybe they get them after the launch, but there's an attrition then going on the on the Chinese bomber mm. force. And the Chinese but, but... bomber force is a lot more finite than the Chinese missiles. But this is where the short range of the of your F-35s and your harpoon missiles kicks in against you because you're going to have to sustain several volleys of incoming um, long-range missiles before you get anywhere near being able to launch on that artificial island. I mean, yeah, it, it well, depends what uh, kind of missiles they're launching as well, because, I mean, the, the, the bombers the bombers are going to be more vulnerable. I mean, there is, always, there is also always this big unanswered question of how they know where they're launching. Um, and... There are extremes of that argument where people can say, oh, well, X-Missile has like 2,000 mile range, therefore they'll launch well out of range of any of the carrier group's defences. Um, and equally, there's kind of, oh, well, they'll always know where the enemy the enemy ship is, like that they're, they're oh, sorry, they won't know where the enemy ship ships are, so they've got to come within range of their sensor systems, which will put them well inside of interception range, and so they'll be easily shot down. I think the balance is somewhere in the middle. Let's face it, everybody on all sides has a number of very inventive officers and if there aren't already solutions in place with things like satellite tracking and um such like people will still also find solutions because i mean and it, it doesn't take a, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to work it out because if you're if you like if i'm just putting on my engineer hat for a second we know the chinese have stupid numbers of obsolete aircraft like mig-21 clones mig-19 clones all sorts of things that even the chinese wouldn't put a pilot in these days um but they're just sitting around um some of them have been scrapped but there's still plenty more um if you're if i was at the chinese air force and i wanted to hunt down a carrier group and i had this problem of okay i've got these long-range missiles that can launch from a, a good good distance keep my bombers relatively safe but perhaps i i don't know where these carriers are so that would mean my bombers have to get closer i just take a bunch of those it was a qf-17 or whatever jury rig them as basically drones they don't have to have the world's most complicated sensor and um and communication systems and being all singing all dancing you have recon aircraft you literally just have to have the most basic systems send them out in effectively a picket line maybe 50 miles apart you don't care if they come back all you're looking for is we're flying it these things in they've got just enough basic sensors to find the enemy if the enemy doesn't do anything about them and if they do do something about them and they shoot them down well that gives you a data point that tells you the enemy is somewhere in this area so you can then vector in all your other expendable drones and just go, OK, well, we now know from the interception and from whatever basic sensor readings they managed to get before they died 
this is where the enemy is. What have you lost? A bunch of aircraft that were just going to go sitting, mouldering away in the scrap pile anyway, and then you can make your long-range missile launch from your bomber craft. So you, this, you, there doesn't always have to be a high-tech solution to these things, but you, you can do it. But there is always also going to be the possibility of, and this is where fighters come in as well, because yes, okay, fair enough, the the F-35 might not have the world's greatest range, but if the F-35s can be going around picking off these drones at considerably longer ranges, it makes that job a lot harder. Um, and you can rearm an F-35. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah, and if, if, the, if the F-35s, if the F-35, let's say it's a... And you can bunker, resupply a carrier. Yeah, if a British, if you've got a British F-35 with a Meteor and it pops off a drone at, say, 500 miles away from the carrier, that's, and it can do that across that sort of 500-mile radius, that's an awful lot of ocean. That's not enough data for you to then make a long-range launch, which means you are going to have to advance your more advanced scouting platforms and your bombers closer to get better data. Whereas without that, you you then those scout drones could in the meantime a lunchbox in the meantime a lunchbox flies over in low earth orbit and spots you yeah anyway if if it's japanese it might be made of wood you are obsessed with these satellite lunchboxes and whilst i agree i also think that there is a level of which we're talking about them but there's also a level which are sort of going how much work is now being put into making ships fit for lasers and yeah, to make it work and I, I, yes it's a lunchbox but if it can be taken out with a laser then it can be dealt with now anyway back back to our thing though is mm-hmm. i'm starting to think you know uh, here i am a carrier skeptic even though my passion is armored carriers mm-hmm. I'm, I'm now starting to think well why the hell are we building frigates destroyers and cruisers why don't we just build first-rate carriers, second-rate carriers, third-rate carriers, and fourth-rate carriers? Now we have converted the... you. That is enough. <laughs> these, because these are the ships. Because these are the ships that can be resupplied, and yeah. these are the ships with the weapons reload with weapons delivery systems that are flexible. Yeah. Now you have reached the point at which the problem where people start going, "There's no role for carriers in the future war," and then you go, "Once you look into this, you say, hang on, why don't more people have carriers? Because yeah. this." Makes I mean, the, the the flip side, the flip side to the to, to the argument is that with with surface ships, the like you're not going. I mean, HMS Courageous shows you do not use your carrier to hunt submarines in and of itself. This is well, a bad no, idea. No, no. Yeah, you have to use the aircraft, but the aircraft, the aircraft yeah, have I'm to gonna, be out I'm there. Disagree with that because yeah. Courageous was the wrong. Was your, was using your first rate ship in a yes. in a fourth rate job. At a time yeah. when they thought, at a time when they thought that the first-rate ships aircraft could do a first-rate job, yeah. <laughs> um, so you know the the, the hunter-killer group came back with a vengeance in 1943, of yeah, course, with, with the escort carriers. Yeah, but I think yeah. the thing is with with carriers, and was really it, quite good in both anti-sub and anti-air warfare. It's it's partly about reaction times and partly about um, what I'd call active versus passive. So. A carrier doing anti-submarine warfare, yes, it can even a, something like an Invincible or one of the Japanese ships, it can do a lot more anti-sub warfare at any given point than a single anti-sub frigate can because its helicopters can be all over the place. But those helicopters have a finite 
time on station they have to come back they have to refuel they've got maintenance issues so there are good and there's going to be weather times and uh, weather when they clone can't fly steve george unfortunately you cannot no. clone steve george as much as we would like to clone him but so, was tried. has anyone tried yet has anyone tried but but that means when you compare that with an anti-sub frigate that's got it's got a helicopter but it's also got hull mounted and towed array sonar that can be doing its job pretty much 24 7 so carrier, build, this, this is where you want your yeah. belgium ship yeah as long as there's no one flying around with anything more advanced than a wright brothers flyer um but if if there's if there's but a cat yeah. uh, this uh, you can do 24 you your type 26 frigate which let's be honest let's talk about the type 26 frigate because no, no. the reason i want to talk about that quickly is the t- royal navy are spending nine billion on eight units and the uh, i'm not sure what the cost is of the new frigates for the uh, for the um belgians but i think it's going to be roughly three billion for four units okay so yeah you'd expect them to be about I don't know, half or a third as capable as the British. Let's be honest, the Type 26s. We have got 12-cell VLS for 48 Sea Scepter anti-air missiles. So that's the CAM. And a 24-cell Mark 41 VLS for Tomahawk, ASROC, Lazaram, CAM or ESM quad packed, along with other capabilities. They're also carrying a 5-inch gun, two 30mm uh, cannons, two phalanx, two miniguns, and four general-purpose machine guns. Plus, they have accommodation for two helicopter, Wildcat helicopters, which can be armed with their own range of missiles, a flight deck capable of taking a Chinook, have enclosed hangar and, and facilities for UAVs, and a flexible mission bay, which can take all sorts of random systems being put in it. And that's mm-hmm. being crammed into roughly uh, 9,000 tons fully loaded, and you sit there and go, okay, so I'm expecting that that, it, that that is an extra, what, three and a half thousand tons, roughly, on the anti-submarine warfare frigate that the Belgians are building you just brought up. There's a big difference in that. But, but, but I'm going pi- to pitch to you this idea. I'd rather have the three Invincibles back. Oh, yes, uh, I know. Yeah. A lot of ideas. Because, I think most because then would. you've got your first rate Queen Elizabeths being supported by a third rate Invincibles. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think the thing is, you've got, you've agree, got to. Ha- Jamie, you won't yeah. get me arguing on this one. I'm on if you say we need LHDs to replace the Albion and Bulwark, and we need at least three of them so we can have more flight decks and yeah. I, i'm the one who's proposed who wrote an entire article about escort carriers and turning our logistics supply ships and basically building them as we're going to build them but building with a flight deck on top so they well, can look, do yeah, the supply you, 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 and have the you, flight you, deck there, there is still a role for the for the anti-submarine warfare hull because of that persistent 24 7 asw and it's and it's a similar thing for um for air defense yeah. because you can't have your fighters wandering around. You can't have your entire air group wandering around doing combat air patrol 24 seven. Um, you can have, yeah, your fighters can reach out further. Um, they can hit further potentially if they collect sort of collectively launch, you launch everything, they can actually hit harder, but a surface to air missile destroyer can sit there and it's ready on station again, 24 seven and it can start launching missiles within seconds. Whereas with a, ca- a carrier group, a carrier, you need 
at least you, you you're going to need a fair bit of time to to get anything beyond the cap launched you're going to have maybe some aircraft at qra um in a hostile situation but even if you're flying a cap and you've got a qra ready to go ultimately that's still going to be less less surface uh, air to less anti-air firepower you, you can bring to bear compared to a fully loaded burke or burke equivalent um and i, and I guess the other thing about having a you know a, um, a third rate carrier mm. is that for that vessel to be effective you're going to need to have larger numbers of much cheaper VTOL aircraft yeah i, I think the first or stable, stable. yeah but I in this face there's no way that you can afford that many f-35b's no i think nope. that i think the the first the idea of a, of a big carrier um and I think actually, if in in the overall scheme of carriers, you're going to have to say think like the Ford and the Nimitzes are your first rates. Mm. The the Queen Elizabeth, I'd say, are probably more along the lines of a, a second or third rate carrier uh, in in terms of the rating system. They're, yep. they're the equivalent of a 74 or 80 gun ship of the line. They're <clears throat> fully capable of standing in the line of battle, mm. but they are not as capable they cannot carry as many weapon systems in terms of aircraft as an Nimitz or a ford but they're not something the re- anyone else really or anyone no. else who's smaller or equivalent to them mm. really wants to come across yeah. if they've got a, if they're yeah. around and even maybe they're, they're, a second still, rate is going to have to think about they're, it they're, they're still a ship of the line and the reason i say i'm sort of not sure whether they sit in second or third is they're what this advertised as their typical deployment group, which is two to three squadrons of F-35s plus helicopters, plus their size. That would, to me, put them in the position of like the 74 gunship of the line equivalent. Whereas if they go, if you see some of the theoretical, just how many F-35s could we fit on this if we ditch most of the helicopters and fully deck park, that pushes them up into the kind of similar kind of fighter strike capability as a Nimitz or a Ford just without all the ancillary AWACS, helicopter, etc. support that those ships have, which would put it more into the kind of 90-98-gun style ship, ship of the line category. So it's a general purpose third, a third rate, but a second rate strike ship. Yes. And and then, so, so stuff like your in, Invincibles or the newer Japanese stuff would probably be your equivalent to your heavy fifth, small fourth rate. So they're no longer front line like they're no longer line of battleships but they're very capable and then you've got stuff but like repurp- purpose yeah yeah and then you've got the, just, the, the yeah. yeah and then you've got the smaller either the either slower stuff like lph's repurposed just having fun or the really the really small stuff like some of the earlier japanese um helicopter destroyers and um, some of the other small carriers that very small carriers that people got floating around um, those would be like your sixth rate equivalent but th- there's definitely a role for them but they're not going to take over the asw role from completely from surface ships the same way that just because you've got a first rate carrier you're not gonna you're not gonna say okay we'll, we'll just have more of those and no no surface to air missile escorts either it, it yes. sounds and, like and, we've and, reinvented the task group everyone yeah and escort carriers but the problem as, yeah. as i say you know while it's while they while you can rearm those aircraft you can't replace those aircraft because those aircraft are so damn expensive and so yeah. damn complex um 
So I think, I think this, this, this is the thing. It's the the carrier I think we just has abandoned surface ships altogether and just go submarines. <laughs> well, I was going to say actually, the, the the submarine at in some ways, whilst there's a lot of analogies for our surf for the surface ships, both carriers and um, surface combatants in the age of sail, the submarine almost poses a similar kind of issue as the first ironclads, because you can't apart from apart from maybe the SSGNs. But otherwise, you can't really rate submarines in exactly the same way because a sub, you're not going to find any submarine with a dozen plus torpedo tubes. So, like even something like a Seawolf ah. with eight tubes, technically by the rating system, that makes it an unrated vessel, like a sloop or a gun cutter or a brig. But no one sane is going to say that in the grand scheme of naval power, a Seawolf or a Virginia or an Astute is is a gun brig. Because they're not, but no. But the analogy then you'd look for would be something like the Warrior, where it's got a completely different level of technology. It was classed initially under the old style systems as an armored frigate because it had a single gun deck and it had a relatively low number of guns compared to a ship of the line. But it had it had this armor which made it far more effective, and it also carried significantly bigger guns. It was carrying sixty-eight pounders and one hundred and ten pounders, as opposed to the thirty-twos and such like that were more common in in age of sail vessels and they and, gave it very experienced post captains which mm. is not normally what you do with a ship which is supposedly a low-level frigate and then you look at a submarine and you've got the similar kind of situation it's got a completely different technology set because it's relying on underwater and what's the closest equivalent for ocean going vessels of actual pure stealth um, as opposed to the effectively radar cross-section reduction measures that are on surface ships and the torpedo is a far, far, far more effective weapon if it hits than any missile bar some of the absolutely insane Russian ones. Because as we all know, you sink ships by letting air in, uh, letting water in the bottom, not air in the top. So unless, unless you've got one of these absolutely colossal Russian ones that just snaps your ship in half anyway, getting hit by a single Mark 48 or a Spearfish or or other equivalent weapon is going to be far more devastating than taking a uh, harpoon or um, tomahawk or silkworm hit. A, I think we need to start reintroducing water as armour for ships. But mm. leaving that to one side, um, everyone, uh, there are lots of people who are going to randomly listen to this and go, "Why? where did that come from? We'll probably get into that in another future, future uh, discussion. But, yes. I, think I think we are getting submarine... to the point where we have to start winding this up anyway. So yes. We are getting into um, I think with submarines, the other thing you have to start considering, and we do talk about them as being very capable, and they are very capable. You know, uh, we've we, we make this point several times, and I do play Dell's advocate because sometimes it winds you two up quite well mm -hmm. if I do it. But the main, the problem with submarines is that the reloading capability with submarines is even more difficult in my mind than the reloading capability of ships VLS. In that, if you think about it, there, where are the places that you would want a submarine on the surface to reload it? They're not anywhere near it, because it's a stealth asset, because of protection. It's got no protection on the surface at all. We talk about a ship being reloaded, it has no protection, it still has its guns. It can still do something. A submarine doesn't have that when it's on the surface, so you need to pull the submarines very far back to a safe space to reload them. 
So they are incredibly capable while they still have their torpedoes. While they mm. still have. And it's one of the... My big problem with the Astute class is that they don't have VLS and therefore any tomahawks they carry are in place of torpedoes. The decoys are carried in are in place of torpedoes. Yes, you need to have the decoys, but that means you have them in place of your torpedoes. You either are launching a decoy or you're launching a torpedo, and you're either carrying inside a decoy or a torpedo. You're carrying a tomahawk or a torpedo or a decoy. You have to start, when you're talking about submarines, those limitations that, of the logistics that we've been talking about become even more complicated. Especially if you're it the comes, Royal Navy. It comes down to a matter of efficiency then, doesn't it? Is it more efficient to have the, um, that Tomahawk replacing a torpedo in a much larger torpedo room? Or do you reduce the size of your torpedo room by having dedicated um, Tomahawk launching tubes? Um, you know, that's, or that do you have an extra section in your hull with your VLS and leave your t- torpedo launching tube? Have a slightly bigger submarine, but have, Although, you know. The thing, well, the thing is that you can reload a submarine's torpedoes at sea. It's not pretty. It's not effect. It's not very efficient, but you can do it. I mean, they were doing yeah. it as far back as World War Two. That's why you had yeah. German supply ships in the mid-Atlantic. <clears throat> Reloading a torpedo into a sub, a torpedo is a heck of a lot more robust weapon than a, a, a missile for yeah. many obvious reasons, um, even if it is even heavier. You can do it, but again, where are the ships you would need to do it? Where are the flotilla? Where are the depot ships, the flotilla mm. ships that we used to have that would do it? But the, the I, I think the thing is, when it comes to whether or not you're sticking missiles on a sub, it a lot of it is going to come down to what is the role that you are putting your sub into. <clears throat> is is your hunter killer submarine there mainly to? defend your SSBN bastions and to hunt down enemy subs that are trying to um, disrupt your submarines and your surface ships, i.e. are they acting in a a kind of a defensive role to enable your surface fleet to carry out your objectives? Are you going to be using your submarines as part of a directly offensive role against the enemy fleet? Are you using your submarines as part of a directly offensive role against enemy installations on land? where does all this sit because obviously you can't torpedo land installations so if you are going to use them in that role then yes you do need some kind of cruise missile um attack. i know we say we can't torpedo land installations but does that go for the chinese artificial islands can we torpedo those <laughs> coral a lot of coral in the way oh <laughs> it'll be yeah. it'll be um yeah it'll be the okay. um Mm. bombing the bombing the, the the coral atolls all over again yeah yeah but i think i think this is the thing it's like it's and it, it, that to be honest that kind of decision is going to reach e- into even as far as your submarine's design not just the weapons loadout because a a, 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 a submarine that is going to go and attack land installations or a submarine that's going to launch a massive strike against uh, enemy surface vessels is going to look look an awful lot more like a ballistic missile sub. I mean, there's a reason the Oscars look like miniature typhoons, and there's a reason the US, when it was converting SSGNs, they didn't go for an upsized um, six eight eight or or some variant of the Seawolf of Virginia's. They went with just refitting the older Ohio's because that is the kind of submarine you don't need speed necessarily. What you need is extreme stealth and a large payload, but absolute extremes 
SSBN style stealth and a large payload are incompatible with fast, agile, deep diving characteristics, which is what you need for a hunter killer. If you like you, you, an SSGN, unless it gets an absolute ambush, is never going to win a fight with an SSN. They're, they're just two entirely different things. So, and trying to hybridize them, yes, you, you can do that. We know obviously they did put VLS cells in some of the American nuclear subs. In you some can, of Virginia's, they're doing it again. They've yeah. added an extra module. You can fire them out of torpedo. You can fire certain missiles out of torpedo tubes and so forth. Which is what the British do. Yeah, but again, I, I suspect that that kind of thing may start falling into the jack of all trades, master of none, which is what we've been railing against when it comes to surface ships. It works fine if you're launching cruise missiles at Libya or iraq but let's face it neither libya nor iraq were ever going to be able to stop you launching cruise missiles from a submarine from a destroyer from a frigate from a container ship to be perfectly honest mm. it, it didn't matter whereas if you're going up against a, an opponent who can actually shoot back effectively like say china that is at much more of a concern the same reasons that the burks carrying i don't think the burks carrying strike missiles is a good idea they should be purely surface to air based a submarine shouldn't if it's an ssn and you're going up against all with china you really should be focusing purely on killing enemy subs and surface ships not worrying about min, min maxing yeah you mean you um, min max things for to, to and this thing yeah min maxing in tabletop games is seen as a scummy move but the reason it's seen as a scummy move is because it's hilariously overpowered works. and you win <laughs> and it works mm. in war you're not concerned with pleasing the gm or or the dm or or like making everything look fair you're interested in hitting the enemy as hard as you humanly can uh, whenever i play galactic civilizations it's a mm. online game and i've been playing against some friends we, we we have occasionally games sort of monthly where we play against zero quite a lot of them hate me because every time i research the other missile tech mm. and drones and my ships are armed with fighters and missiles and they just sit back at the back for any of the any of the games. I designate them all the support ships so they don't go forward. And they just sit at the back lobbing missiles and fighters at them. And they're going, but that's not fair. We've built a warship which has lasers and this. And I go, I'm not in the base of fair. I would, I'm, I, I've got a three-year-long winning streak here where <laughs> I haven't lost a single one of these games. Do you think I care about fair right now? Mm. <laughs> and the fact okay, is here, so... I've been doing the same trick for three years and none of you have copied me. It's not so my the... fault. So the moral of the past two hours is that we're going to continue to classify ships by rating systems and mm -hmm. we're going to ignore submarines as too hard. Well, no. we're gonna we're gonna treat submarines as as kind of like the first generation ironclads. They're they're a completely different paradigm that requires special treatment. We're gonna talk about them, but we're also gonna uh, bring them up because the Ohio class SSGNs and the Ticos are both a big problem for the U.S. on this sort of scale of rating system because if they are the U.S.'s entry into the first rate, which is supposedly the predominant power in the world. And yet, those are the ones which are currently go are up for uh, aging out, and that's a big problem for the U.S. Navy because they need to start figuring out, uh, get start getting their replacements actually if, under construction if build, now. If they build their fleet up around the 
the Ale Burke hull, i.e. the second rate, is that mm. not enough if they've got a, a lot of them? It is, but the trouble is, as Ale, as Drac has been pointing out, it's the min-maxing. Mm. Your Burke hull is your anti-air defence system. Mm. You need your Tico hull is, is really your cruiser role in this modern war is your space defence, I would argue, your anti-satellite, possibly your anti-ballistic missile and your strike rolls, because those three go together. Which sounds strange, but those three do go together. They all need bigger missiles anyway. Mm. They need bigger missiles and they need a big ship. And then you go, okay, right. So, does is your replacement? Uh, should uh, is your CGX really? Is it? Should it be the San Antonio missile ship? Mm-hmm. The you know the ship which is completely converted to just carry a load of missiles, and the Americans are basically going, you know what? We're just building our equivalent of the Kirov class. We're going to take out the dock, which is very expensive and heavy. We're going to up the engines a bit. We're going to stick it all together. We're going to change the stern to make it slightly faster. And then we're going to fill it up with missiles. And we are going to try and work out this phrase called minimally manning by going to the Royal Navy and going, can you please design the manning profile for this ship? And to be and honest, Royal... if you want if you want if you want an arsenal ship concept and if you don't want to use worry about having to up speed something like a San Antonio hull, I'm pretty sure you could pull off something fairly similar with a modified Zumwalt hull. Yes. You could. You, you've got two socking great guns up front that aren't really of much use anymore. Strip those out, stick a bunch of VLS there. And if you're going to make it a pure Arsenal ship, then you don't even need the, the size and scope of helicopter handling facilities they've got aft or the massive IR baffles they've got that make up the superstructure, a large part of that superstructure. You could make quite a fearsome, um, already high-speed capable Arsenal ship out of a Zumwalt hull. Hmm. And you've still got plenty of space on there to slap radars and such like. <clears throat> we'll save these for another day. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> and now we will find out um, whether um, Alex gets a whole lot more hate mail. Yay. <laughs> no, I hope you two get your share of hate, hate mail as well. We have spread the love around. It's, good. It, it, it's always fun having friends who are now working the places of power and people going, why did you do this to me? You caused my boss to have steam coming out of his ears. And I was going, first of all, remind me who your boss is. I'm <laughs> dyslexic here. I've forgotten. And secondly, oh, really? We caused that. And I won't say which particular friend this was, but I, I will say he works in a place which recently had some rather annoying issues with people trying to, people storming it. <laughs> and his boss might be very, very well connected in terms of defence procurement. So India, then? Yeah. Myanmar, <laughs> uh, Myanmar. Yeah. But no, they, I mean, this is the thing. It's like I think one of the strengths. But just before we go, one of the strengths of of this group is that, and this podcast is that, whilst we may not have access to the full technical specs of all these missiles and everything because we're coming at it from a position of history we can see certain types of patterns repeating themselves and we're also not entirely in literally in some cases literally invested in following certain pr processes or technological processes or thought processes down a kind of a narrow road that doesn't allow for thinking elsewhere I, I think yeah, that's 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 where our strength. Yeah, our, our, thinking our strength. outside the VLS tube. All, yeah. 
So yeah. if Iron Brew and who's the who's the winemaker you like, Jamie? Uh, I, I'm 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 cutting back a bit lately, so I'm I'm hitting the Pepsi Max harder lately. <laughs> okay, so Iron Brew or Pepsi would like to start sponsoring us. We won't say mine. We, uh, we won't mind. All right. All right. Okay. So, okay. See you later. See you later. See you. Bye. Welcome to the Bilge Pumps, where a bunch of naval geeks spout off. <laughs>